Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. We're going to revisit 1966, the year. Well, it was the... I suppose what many think is uh, everybody relates to England's finest hour. Yeah. Um, which we've discussed before in, in different ways, um, which became really our unfinest hour yeah. in many ways. But um, no, it's a great year for me because um, uh, the I, I, I once did a DVD about the best days of my life in uh which was my couple of years at Stoke, so three years at Stoke. But that was that was on, well, it was not only on the field. It was with my off-the-field relationship with Tony Waddington. But that was in '75. But '66 um, were the best days of my life because I was only 15. You know, just leaving school. Um, school days were the best days, but that was the year that I signed apprentice for Chelsea, and uh, obviously it all started to happen. And it was at the birth of a dream. And will we start with a picture? And we've posted up, we always post up the picture on our socials, Alan Hudson underscore 10 on Twitter and Alan Hudson on Facebook. And we've got a show uh, account for Twitter at My Life, My Music 6 and on Facebook, My Life, My Music. And it's that photograph that you posted, Al, of you as a young'un in your Chelsea youth days so let's just stay on that photograph and you describe behind the lens what was going on there well it was um it was a i suppose strange could be the word um i'd been at the bridge for about 18 months on uh, training on tuesday and thursday um i didn't really want to go but i didn't really want to play for Chelsea I wanted to play for Fulham um I was I'd never been a Chelsea supporter but I, I just and I remember my my dad I used to, he used to when he got home from work early enough um he would make he would force me to go really without being forceful uh you've got to go you know he just really 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 didn't want uh, he he he, would, he just knew that I was going to be a player it was he would tell them he, he would insist when anybody ever mentioned a footballer, he says, well, he says, uh, my Adam will be, will be better than all of them. He was like that, my, my dad. And uh, uh, if it weren't for him, I obviously wouldn't have become a footballer. But it was, it was, it was those times. And um, it was the start of a, uh, it, it really was a great time for, uh, to be an apprentice. Um, uh, and the worst thing that ever happened was, you know, I, I was I was I was writing I'm writing this new book and I, I wrote 
it's similar to the uh, the line you've seen it. I've sent it to you before about Shawshank Redemption. It's um, when I signed pro and got into the big time. You know, it was like going into Shawshank when he said, uh, "You know, I was old and innocent on the outside, but now I've I've had to come inside to be, you know, uh, what I've become." Um, and that's really what happened to me. I I just loved life before. As a kid, I loved, I just loved being um, a young kid around the streets in Chelsea with, uh, you know, we were very close friends and it was a very close knit place. I'm sure it was where you are and where everybody was in them days, you know, the days where you could leave your door open and, you know, there was not a problem and everybody was welcome. My, my prefab was a fantastic place to be. Um, my mum was, my mother was like a cafe, you know. She did the best breakfast, and everybody would go to her to have breakfast, and it was it was just great. It was that, they were the most fantastic days. Nineteen sixty six was an incredible year, and it, it I was just at the age where uh, it was like walking for a tunnel, really, and walking into a new world with the music and everything else, and. And the dress and everything else, and in, into the King's Road was like walking, you know. It, it like it was really what the, what the Beatles were all about. It was like walking into a psychedelic age, really, in many ways. You you, you went from, you know, a young kid in in school clothes and short trousers into this big world of. Uh, it was like so romantic. It was fantastic. It was great days. Well, you've referenced the Beatles, so we're going to start with the Beatles and uh, paperback writer. But just before we get on to the first track, can you remember some of your teammates in that Chelsea youth team days? And was it was it at Welsh Harps that photograph where it was, it was taken? Welsh Harp, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it was a, it was a Welsh Harp at um, um, at Hendon. It was yeah. just off the. It was just off the. Very, very close to Wembley. It was just off the North Circular Road. Uh, as you go, I'm sure many people pass it without knowing they pass it. And they had a big old pub there, the Welsh Sharp pub. In them days, uh, I don't think we ever went into the Welsh Sharp pub, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> being 15 and all that. But I used to go to other pubs in Chelsea at 15. But uh, it, it was a great place. It was a, it, it really was, you know, when I look at today's footballers, Training at Cobham, you know, at Chelsea, and I think of our upbringing. We had, we really had it tough. I mean, it was, it was a, a pit that ran downhill, and the water ran downhill into a lake, and uh, old dressing rooms, and um, I remember the old boy Jock that used to run the place. I'll never forget one day, you know, when the mum and dads were coming in for a game on Saturday. You know, he used to stir the tea with the, the uh, piece of wood with paint on it and that he used to paint the lines with and stuff like that you know it was it was like comedy it was like comedy film really uh but it was it was great as it was great as a 15 year old you know when i when i look at 15 year olds today i, I it makes me very very sad mm-hmm. um that we had such a fantastic upbringing and but it, you know welsh harp was a it was i can only call it really 
if it, in horse racing terms, it was like Cheltenham. Yeah. It was like it was like um, the Cheltenham Hill, you know, when they come up the Cheltenham Hill, were going up that hill, and this, if you was especially in the second half, you had to be fit. And uh, it was great times. I was I was very very fortunate as well that I had um, I had two fellas running in our team, um, the youth team. One was Frank Blunston. Uh, who's still who's, who's still with us? Thankfully, he came from Crew. He, he uh, played at Crew, and he played in the, the the Chelsea team that won the first championship. I think it was around that time, 54, 55. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, yeah, ten years earlier, but uh, but Frank was one of our youth coaches, and the other one was a great Spurs player called Tommy Harmer. Yeah. Uh, the youth called Charmer, and I used to, and I knew them both from training at, at the bridge on a Tuesday and Thursday and obviously they were they were the coaches but they weren't they weren't really coaches I don't think they had coaching badges they just both played for Tommy Doherty Tommy liked them both and uh, I think Tommy when he went to Manchester and I took Frank with him actually um, as uh, I don't know what he did at Manchester United Frank but they, as I say uh, Paul they weren't coaches and yeah. uh, they, they were they were more uh, older statesman of the game and would just try and advise you on the the, the best thing to do. But you know, I was fortunate enough that uh, uh, I had my coach at home, really, in, in my father. I think what you're saying, Alan, I think you're absolutely bang on with it, is that in those days they didn't have badges to um, say that there was coaches, but neither did football players have badges to say that they were football players, but they were all football people. And in Tommy's case, um, forming a boot room, probably at Manchester United, having people that he respected and trusted and worked with and knew that they knew the game of football inside out. And in essence, those people, they never needed badges. No, no. I mean, I mean, God knows what, only God knows what uh, Tommy, um, what happened to Tommy because Tommy built, Tommy Doherty built a, a, such a fantastic uh, uh, thing at Chelsea. He had, he had, a, he had a great, um, he had a, I've, I've, I'm not, uh, Dickie Foss, I think his name was. He was a, the main scout, and they had a, they had a, the line of players coming through. But main, strangely enough, they were all from East, mainly from East London and Scotland. Um, Dickie used to obviously used to do East London, and he had a Scottish scout that brought the Scottish players down. And uh, I truly believe that uh, to this day, that in 1965, 66, 67, uh, 67 was when they lost the Spurs in the final. Uh, that was a final that ne- never really once never really went ahead because mm-hmm. they they were going to play in it. Uh, because they they couldn't get their cup final tickets and they were out out in the Dormy Hotel in Bournemouth to about four or five in the morning refusing to play and they gave them the tickets at the last minute. So I might have been in that final. I might have been in that final at 15 years of age because they didn't have enough players. Yeah. Um, so, but I I just don't understand why Tommy went like he went because he 
he he was building something fantastic, and and it, it, I, I can remember him going to Anfield, knocking Liverpool out of the FA Cup when they was untouchable at home, and and that was I think that was a year of Osgood, uh, his first season, and. Um, I think Ozzy scored one goal and Bobby Tamlin scored the other, and you know there was that there was I I but truly believe to this day that 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 would have been the the team, you know, and uh, he he said later on that he always thought of me of being taken over from Terry Venables because Venables was in that team, George Graham was in that team, the two two players that went on to become quite iconic managers and incredibly successful you know absolutely and there was uh, there was certainly talk about Alan Hudson making his Chelsea debut and and being probably one of the youngest ever to have made the uh, that debut for the uh, the Blues of London but you were dogged a little bit by injuries wasn't you and even when you did make your injury uh, your your debut a few years later you'd also been on the treatment table but paperback writer number one there was 20 number ones, by the way, in that 1966. This was one of them. Um, it's a little bit like the Premier League today, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it spent two weeks at number one from the 21st of, uh, of June. So it was like pre-World Cup uh, song uh, for England by the Beatles. And I guess as well, in essence, Al, could be your well, that signature was, that, was actually, that, that was actually my 15th birthday, yes. Yeah, of course it was, wasn't it? 21st yeah. of June, 1951. Yeah. Uh, well, 51, but that, yeah, that would have been my my birthday. But um, I was by then. I was um, I was I was into the Beatles big time. I yeah. mean, um, uh, there was nothing like the Beatles for me at that time. They were the greatest thing I'd ever heard. And uh, and I was only a kid, you know. In my house, it was all, you know, we had parties in my house and. We had pies in everybody's house in them days, but um, it was all Sinatra, Tony Bennett and Jack Jones and Al Martino and all the great old crooners. But for me, it was the Beatles, you know. Um, and um, I suppose they had, a, they had a big big thing, big part to play in my life. It just, um, and I, in them days, I liked McCartney, but as, as time went by, uh, I became a massive John Lennon fan, so um, and I think I got a little bit like him in the end, really. <laughs> Both genial figures. You referenced Frank, so uh, that leads us nicely into our second track, Strangers in the Night, three weeks at number one from the 31st of May in 1966. What got you into Frank? Was it, again, those parties in your house? And have you got a favourite Frank Sinatra song? Uh, yeah, my fa- favourite Sonata song was Soliloquy, funnily mm-hmm. enough, which come out of one of the big movies. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think probably a lot to do with it is because my, it was all about my boy, Bill. Yep. My dad was named Bill. My, my nephew's uh, young Billy. we got another Billy in the family. Uh, it was all about my boy, Bill. Um, no, it was just... Uh, I, there's no doubt about it. I, I don't think since uh, Michael Bublé came along, I, I, I've, I've ever been impressed by. Uh, there's some fantastic singers around in them days. All them, it, the, the Italian. Thing, it was it was, it was yeah. the Italian thing. I, I love these Italian movies as well. And uh, 
Oh, you know, this new one, the Irish one, Jerry Vow's in that, sings in that. Jerry Vow's got the most. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Wonderful voice. And I think very soon we'll be talking about Johnny Haynes. Well, the story goes that Johnny Haynes went to America and, and come back with a Jerry Val LP and everybody in Chelsea was playing Jerry Val. You know, it was a, it was a time of, uh, Oh, unlike today. I mean, kids of the day don't know. In my eyes, they know nothing about music. You know, um, Sinatra. Sinatra was just. And I, as as a as a young man, um, they reckon he had a wonderful voice even later on in life. But I, when he was a kid, he had the most ex- extraordinary voice. And I, I've read all his stuff, and I've seen all everything they've they've done about him on TV and film and everything else. And he was the one that used to, you know, tell the band leaders how to play the music. You know, he he was just, and uh, I, I also believe that he 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 died at birth. So there was there was something really unique, quite unique about him. Uh, they they had to they had to put him under a cold. His, his grandmother put him under a cold, ran him under a cold tap because he stopped breathing and. Uh, so we nearly we nearly lost Frank at that age, and and then then again all them years later, oddly enough, when I was in a coma, he was in a coma. Yeah. So, you know, he's 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 played a big part in my life. And while we're talking about comas, let's just uh, reflect on uh, 1997 um, when you had that bad car accident. You were in that coma, um, and it was the 15th of December when you got hit by the car. So very, very recently, but very, uh, a very long time ago. And when I say recently, we're recording this uh, just a few days after the uh, the 15th of December. How did that day go, and how do you reflect on on that day now, Alan? Well, I I still um I'm, I I still write about it quite a lot. Mm. People might get fed up with me writing about it. Oh, I don't. Put it it's on. brilliant. <laughs> yeah. But I, I it's um. I think what it is, why I write about it so much, I think it's, um, we all get down, we all get, you know, um, life can, especially at times like this, I mean, it's it's a terrible time to be living at the moment. Mm. Uh, You know, I've never had so many negative phone calls, I've got a couple of people, I've got a couple of friends who've lost friends and... It really is a in my my one of my great friend Peter Millard, who I, I, I look after. He's eighty three now. He was friends with my father, but we've we've remained great friends. Uh, and he said to me one day, he says, "I, I promise you, how this was worse than the World War Two. Mm-hmm. Um, it really, it really is. It's just extraordinary. And uh, you know, we're living in bad times. You know, and my time in hospital in, in in the whole of 1998, I spent the whole year in there. I, I still look back and say it was the greatest year of my life. It was a, 
it was the greatest challenge. Uh, it made all the all, all all these tough football matches against hard teams and hard players like a walk in the park. Really, it it was uh, it was so rewarding meeting these young kids who young doctors. And, and when I see that, you know, the, earlier in the year and clapping the NHS and things like that, it really turned me off because these people have been doing it forever and ever and ever you know these young kids who looked after me were just incredible coming in every morning with a smile on their face and we used to play pranks on each other tricks and we used to go to the pub together it was you know um it was great it was it was such a great time and uh, of course then there was uh, the doctor that saved my life so it was um i come across i what 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 happened to me in in hospital paul was i it confirmed to me that football managers are frauds. Yeah. Um, these these people who are saving people's lives. I mean, David Goodyear saved my first. He first he saved my legs, and then he saved my life. But um, they are professional people. These are uh, professional in our game in, in football. Is that that is not the right word because we're yeah. not professional. They're not professional. They. They don't learn their trade. They're just put into a job and they're most of them are incapable. It's probably why we we haven't won nothing or been to a final since 1966. We, you know, management is a, is a word used very, very loosely because they don't know how to manage people. That's 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 what went wrong with me. I, I needed management. The... the David Goodyear, in when I was in hospital, went into a trauma meeting, and uh, one doctor said, uh, "I think we forget should forget about this patient, which was me, and uh, and concentrate on someone who's going to live." And uh, David didn't say nothing, and he left the trauma meeting, and he walked round to the ITU, and he checked me out. Um, he checked all my vitals. He looked at my past and, and he called another trauma meeting and he had a go at this doctor. He said, uh, he will be all right. He will live uh, and he'll survive. Um, but what he needs is stronger management. And uh, and it just, it, it, life's funny, a strange place because um, that's what I needed when I left Chelsea. I needed stronger management. Yeah. And uh, I got it when I went to Stoke. I went from a weak manager in Dave Sexton to a very strong manager in Tony Waddington. He was a very gentle man, but uh, he was so strong in his ways and his beliefs. And, you know, you you, you couldn't believe it. And, and it, it so, kind of all comes back to you. All these things come back to you when I was in hospital. And my youth come back to me. Um, as I say, Frank was in a coma in New York while I was a co- in a coma in London, um, and it all it, it's a. I think it's quite a fascinating. It would make a fascinating film uh, because it's it, it's a little bit too bizarre to be true, you know. Um, but um, I, that that was that was the best, without doubt, the the best year of my life so rewarding and the challenges is like up you know they reckon the cheltenham gold cup is the hardest race in the world and the grand national is the hardest race in the world well it was no it was no tougher than the year i had in hospital and, and the challenges and 
and the challenges I had when I was in a coma because I, I knew nothing about that, but they, you know, they wrote me off a few times. Uh, so, so it was quite fantastic. So I think that's why I, I sit down, I write about it each day, and I'm writing a book at the moment called The Lockdown Year, the, the, the Lockdown Premier Year, and uh, I relate a lot to that year because what we what we lack uh, in English football, uh, I watched it again yesterday, players jumping on the floor, diving, and, uh, you know, you, there was none of that in hospital. You, you couldn't shirk anything in, in hospital, and I had, a, I had a fantastic physiotherapist called uh, Claire Strickland, and uh, you couldn't shirk nothing. And even as hard as I tried in... Uh, and I did. I mean, I worked hard in the gym, and even w- when I couldn't get out of my wheelchair. And if I spoke to anyone, and my, you know, a couple of friends would come in and sit on the side. And if I spoke to them, she would reprimand me. You know, <laughs> no, no talking over there. You know, one of them. So yeah, it was all great. It was it was great stuff, but it all worked. You know, and it it was just uh, it was a it was a memorable 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 time. And and I, I think that's what what kind of why I've reacted the way I've reacted even now you know I say to people that moan and everything else if I'm in a in a pub or if I'm out and people complaining about something you know get on with it you know enjoy yourself enjoy your life you know and it takes me back to again being 15 um the, uh, the people I was brought up around in Chelsea, you know, they they just lived life to the full. And they, every night was a Saturday night. I remember the Mancini's in the Lord Palmerston would be ready to be ready with all the gear to take around, all putting all the beer on and spirits on the bath to be taken around someone's house to have a party on a Saturday night. And this was what life was about then. And it is quite the opposite now. It's it's gone from one extreme to the other, and um, as I say, th- th- this is why 1966 was such a fabulous year. There was no tears, only tears of joy in London in 1966. Sadly. There are four tiers these days, and we just hope that soon it will end. Let's. Um, you referenced Johnny Ains the maestro, one of your heroes, going to America. And our next track is My Love by Petula Clark that got to number one in America and written by another great songwriter, Tony Hatch. So let's uh, let's talk about the uh, the maestro for a bit, Johnny Ains. Well, before we go on to Johnny, I must say that it's quite ironic that... Um... My my mother at that time was working in in a what they used to call a bistro, yeah, uh, and she was working somewhere in the King's Road, and little did I I didn't know in them days, but um, and she saw, she was the one that told me that Johnny Haynes came in one night with Petula Clark, yeah, so he used to he was dating and she was a beautiful girl, she had the most wonderful voice, um. So that that was what was happening around that time, um, and then later on, um, I, I was a big fan of hers music, musically. Um, later on, again, um, I got to know I got to know Johnny. Uh, my friend Tony Millard 
Um, he, he used to run bars and he had he, he was running a bar at Ealing Studios and uh, he put a, a function on for me when I come out of hospital and uh, he had a, he said I've got a surprise for you tonight. I didn't know obviously didn't know what he was on about and and he had phoned because Johnny Haynes while he was playing for Fulham he got involved with a, a bookmaker called uh, Tommy Benfield and Tommy was a, a, a gentleman and uh, Tommy loved Johnny so much as a player and as a man. Although he was the first £100-a-week footballer, um, Tommy put him on shares in the betting shop and looked after him. And Johnny met a woman and moved up to Edinburgh and, and kind of got up, went off the radar. And, and he drove down this... Tommy picked him up and they drove down to from Edinburgh to Ealing Studios on this night as, as a guest. And it was just quite extraordinary. I, I, I can't imagine that happening today. Um you know, because um, Johnny Haynes used to knock about the, the, in Chelsea. Uh, he used to go into certain pubs. I don't think he was a big drinker, but he, 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 he something about the Wells End that Johnny liked, and uh, especially him. It, it would be like <laughs> it would be like Ali McCoy's the story of Ali McCoy's walking into a pub. You know, with with all the Celtic fans, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but John. John was a, such a wonderful man um, and what a footballer, you know. Um, and that was why that was where the number 10 started from. I used to watch him play. I, I, the sad thing about that was I, I didn't see... Um, I, I didn't really understand the game as, as much at 15 years and then years going up to 15, 16. Uh, but I, I, I did understand that Johnny Ainge was something a bit special. And uh, obviously he wore the number 10 shirt and that was the one that I always wanted to wear. I've just done recently a, a My 70s with Malcolm McDonald and Malcolm was telling me about being the first £100 a week football player, Johnny Ainge, and he bought a new Jag and on the first day he crashed it. and and i thought is there something synonymous with the number 10 and cars because jack Grealish has just banged up his car and also when stoke city uh famous number 10 was had a a roundabout named after him (laughs) yeah there must be something wrong with their, their, their driving skills um I think they probably had football on their mind at the time when they were like, yes, I, I drove over a roundabout in Newcastle under Lyme and uh, they named, it was right near the golf course there and uh, I, 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 I come out unscathed. I, I mean, I should have died that night instead of in the Mileham <laughs> Road, really, because it, I, I remember the, the yeah. following day I had uh, I went, I phoned my friend at his pub, my local pub there, uh, called Lenny Bacon, and I said, Lenny, you, you run me up the road to pick my car up. I parked it next to a roundabout. And it was actually my wife's brand new Mini I bought her. And, uh, and she said, oh, I'll come, I'll drive it back. And when we got there, it was on top of the roundabout. So, hence, <laughs> uh, uh, it's called the Alan Hudson Roundabout now. And I I actually wrote to the the, the council and said, you need to put lights on the end of the road there where the roundabout is and they, and they did it so um and since instead of rep, being reprimanded again to listen to the rest of this podcast please go to www.patreon.com forward slash srb media or just follow the links in the description thank you srb media 
Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.